Romans. Thank you so much for just being with us and worshiping with us. If you have your Bibles, um, you should go to Philippians. That's what we're, we've been in for the past month and a half. I get to wrap up Philippians online, December 26th. I will wrap up our series. Um, I've had people ask, like, you know, we're halfway through, um, a little more than halfway through. Should I still get a scripture journal? I'd say yes. Um, we have these available on our, in our back, um, in our lobby out here. Um, if you have, uh, maybe you're new with us and you just want to kind of get yourselves caught up, uh, we love scripture journals. I live in these things on a daily basis. I've got the whole New Testament and I just love reading scripture and journaling a little bit every day. It's just a great way to get the word in your heart. So Philippians chapter 3 is where we are at this morning. Um, when you become a parent, there is there's terminology that you learn. And... You, you, talk about, uh, you talk about knowing what to do and knowing all the terminology, but there's certain terminology that didn't exist prior to having kids that all of a sudden appeared. Um, when you have kids, like when you go to the doctor and you ask them, okay, how is my kid growing? They will say things like growth percentile. You all remember growth percentiles um, that, that your, your doctor will give you. Um, I had a good friend, pastors out in Minnesota. He has four boys. And the oldest boy, when they took him to the doctor, they said he is in the, in the 140th growth percentile. That's a big kid. And then the second boy was in the 130th percentile. The third was in the, hundred, was, was in, um, the 120th percentile. And when the fourth boy came along, it was at just 100th percentile, literally the most average boy. And so they talked to the doctor, do we need to have him tested? What's wrong with him? They're like, no, you don't get it. You have the only one normal average child out of the three, uh, out of the four boys. And so I remember them telling us about that. And so when we had kids, uh, we learned that Behringer's, we, we don't put out 100 percentile children. In fact, um, the smallest of the two was Ethan, our son. And I remember when we got him, uh, got him into the doctor. And the doctor says, okay, he's in the 14th percentile. I said, is that 40th? No, 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 no. One, four. He's in the 14th percentile. You're like, Pastor Dave, but you're so tall. I know. Handed him so many great genetics. And uh, but what's funny was, is even in his growth, um, he's always uh, just kind of a, a small little guy. And, but yet, both my kids, they didn't grow teeth quick. They did not grow hair quick. Um, but they walked at eight and a half months, both of them. So they walked early, and because we raised them in the youth group, because we're youth pastors, they talked early. Let me just tell you, when you're a youth pastor and you have little ones or you're a kid's pastor, your kids will talk much quicker than any other kid because the teenagers teach them words and things. There are times that, I, that my kids have said things to me, like one time Cammie ripped something out of my hand, she goes, give me that sucker. I'm like, Margaret, Maggie, Melissa, where are you? <laughs> totally true. And uh, I remember Ethan just... <laughs> Tiny little guy, and he's holding my finger, and we're just kind of walking, and this guy at church gets down in Ethan's face, and he goes, and what's your name, little boy? And Ethan looks at me and goes, what's this guy talking about? And the guy jumps back, and he's like, how can he talk like that? I'm like, because I think he's older than what you think he really is, and I thought that he was like two years older or something, and yeah, it's something about growth that develops maturity. 
Growth develops opportunity. Growth develops some things that come out of our life that would not be there if the growth wasn't there. So this morning, when we talk about joy, because the whole series has been about reconstructing joy and getting our joy back, I want to talk to you on the subject that joy grows when we grow. Joy grows when we grow. When we give our hearts to Christ, we automatically have what David would call in Psalm chapter 51, the joy of our salvation. There is this joy that inherently comes in our lives. If you've never given your life to Christ, you should give your life to Jesus because immediately what not, you just not discover uh, forgiveness and grace and mercy and love like you've never known. You will discover the joy of salvation, the joy of encountering Jesus. How can you not encounter Jesus and not encounter joy? Man, if you've never seen a baptism, and if you don't get joy after watching baptism, uh, you're, you are a robot. Because watching the joy of people coming to know Jesus. Um, my daughter switched up the, the graphics on our church sign, and one of them is someone some coming up out of the water and just celebrating. There's the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. But some of us, we must understand that. Well, Jesus just gives us joy all the time. And yes, there is a truth to that, but we're called to work it out and to do something with it. And as you grow in Christ and grow in your relationship, you discover joy. I mean, we do that when it comes to our marriage. I hope, I hope, I hope that you're not the same person that your, that your husband or your wife married 20 years ago. Some of you are like, I'm still married to that, uh, that immature. You need to grow. <laughs> Because if you grow, your love grows. You grow, your passion grows. Oh, pastor, our passion just isn't there any longer. Do you know why? Because you're not growing it. And when it comes to joy, we can actually grow joy by growing our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's what I want to talk about today when we're looking at Philippians chapter 3. Now, I'm going to start in verse 1, and we're going to kind of plow through the first 11 verses because this is what I would call resume verses. Paul's trying to make a point. And now, if you'd go to, to uh, verse uh, 1, just stick on verse 1 up on the screens for a second here. I just want to read you verse 12, and then we'll get to that in a second. Verse 12 says, Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What is he saying? Not that I've already obtained what? These previous verses. Verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. One of 13 times Paul uses the word joy or rejoice. To write the same things to you so it is no trouble for to me and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What he's saying is this. Is there are people that are out to devour who you are. Your relationship with Jesus. Your passion in Christ. Watch out for the people that are trying to make Jesus more. What's the word I'm looking for? Tougher than it really needs to be. Because some people begin to preach Jesus plus this. Jesus plus that. When people start adding on to Jesus. We have a word for that. We call it cult. It's Jesus. Period. And it's him and him alone that we're saved. Verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I underline that. I mean, Paul, Paul is getting a little bit riled up because he's like, if people are adding on to Jesus, he's like, that's getting me riled up. Because what people were doing is they were coming in and they were giving their resume. Have you ever had anybody give you their spiritual resume? 
Let me tell you how long I've been in the church, and let me tell you all the ministries that I've done, and let me give you the list of all the people I keep in my pocket that I've led to Jesus by name. You can give them a call for references. Let me give you all the things that I've ever accomplished so that I can look really, 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 really good to you. Paul says these people are sweeping in and they're trying to show superiority. And so Paul says, listen, if you want superiority, I'm probably the guy that could have it. And he says this, circumcised on the eighth day. Now, if you're new to church, that doesn't seem like something you would ever brag about. It's custom and it identified you as part of Israel. So if you're new to church, that seems odd. There's reason. So circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, I am blameless. He's like, if anybody has room to brag, he says, I could have room to brag, but here's the clincher. Indeed, I count everything as, what's the word? Loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. In other words, what use is any of this if it replaces Jesus? It's worthless. And that, that I can, where, where am I at here? For, for his sake, I have suffered loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. Everyone say rubbish. That's huge. The Greek word is skubalo. Everyone say skubalo. Good, you've cussed right now because in the Greek language, that's the cuss word for the word excrement. Good, look what I did to you this morning. Paul says, that's how serious Paul says, all the stuff you can brag about, it's rubbish. It's excrement. It's, what worth is it next to the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ? Paul is riled up. And Paul is going after Jesus. He's like, stop bragging about who you've been. Stop bragging about what you think you bring to the table. Begin to just celebrate who you are in Jesus Christ. He says, and it's all rubbish that I might gain Jesus and be found in him. Not having a righteousness that comes from my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus. The righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, being made like him in his death, that by any means, any means, any means possible, that my, I may attain resurrection from the dead. The dude is fired up. Nothing is worth more than following Jesus. And then he says, after all of that, not that I've obtained all of it, or that I'm already perfect, I press on to make it my own. Let's pray. Jesus, get our attention today. Get our hearts, our mind's eye fixed upon you. I pray that you would shake us, that you would challenge us. The scripture says, Lord, that that which shall be shaken will be shaken, so that what cannot be shaken is what remains. I pray that we would have a shakening of our spirits today, that what would remain is that which, what you would want to be here. Help us to grow in you today. Help us to, Lord, have, be challenged to grow in you today that we would know you in the power of your resurrection, that we would pursue you with everything that we are so that, Lord, that people would look at our lives and taste and see that the Lord is good. We speak it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So for you list makers, any list makers in the house today? Anybody list makers? I got a few of you. Some of you aren't raising your hands, and I know you're a list maker because I wasn't on your list to raise your hand. So today I'm going to challenge you to make a list. I want to help you make a list on how you can grow in Christ. And my, my hope is that you would pick one thing. 
Just one thing to do that you would grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, I'm just going to give you seven ways to grow. Just write this down. Number one, to grow in Christ, to grow spiritually, we must own our shortcomings. Own your shortcomings. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this, verse 12, or I'm already perfect. Paul, look at the list earlier. When he talks about being the Hebrew of Hebrews, when he talks about being a Pharisee, when he talks about everything that he, he knows, you've got to understand that if anybody had the right to brag and never ever grow again in the scriptures or grow spiritually, it seemed like Paul was set up for that because he's got the resume. He had things memorized. He had things that, he had the zeal, he had the passion. Now granted, his passion was so much about the Torah that he was willing to go pursue, persecute, and kill Christians. Until he encountered Christ firsthand and his life was never the same again. And so Paul himself looks at his own life and he recognizes that Christ is so incredible. Christ is so awesome. Christ is so magnificent that you can never, ever, ever, I don't think that's right grammar here. Never, ever, ever, never, ever exhaust who Christ is and what Christ brings to the table. That you can never have so many experiences in Jesus that you have got enough of Jesus and you can never experience more. I'm telling you what, in May I will celebrate my 25th year of ministry. 25 years of ministry, 4 years of Bible college, it's my degree in the Bible. I have grown up in the church. I was going to the church in the womb. As soon as I came out of the womb, they took me right to the church. I've grown up in this thing. I'm here to tell you that you can spend a lifetime searching after Jesus, going after Jesus, pursuing Jesus, and you will never ever find the bottom of the amazing the amazing ocean that is the depths of the presence of God in Jesus Christ himself. And so Paul's like, listen, if you want to grow, you've just got to admit, look at there, I, ha- I haven't made perfection and I haven't yet obtained it. Spiritual growth, quite simply, starts off with two things. Number one, we have not arrived. And number two, it's a longing to be different than who we really were. You want to grow spiritually? You want to know if you're a candidate? You just have to recognize that you've not arrived. I'm trying to remind you every week, you have not arrived. Pastor Dave, believe me, has not yet arrived. But we have to have a longing to be different than who we are. Why? Because Christ wants to do more in you. So, we we look at our shortcomings. Number two, to grow spiritually, we must press into Christ. Paul says this. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What a great, what a great word. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I strain toward what lies ahead. Look at that word press in the, in the Greek language means to aggressively pursue or to intensely pound or to beat. Now, he's not pounding on Jesus. He's not beating on Jesus. But this specific word, press, is this, what's the word I can use? Veracity. He has this passion, this intensity that it says, this one thing I do, I press on. In fact, if you look in verse 14, that same word, he utilizes it again. When it comes to Jesus, I press into Jesus. I kind of I pound into Jesus, so to speak. I aggressively pursue Jesus. And he actually utilizes this word a third time. He utilizes it earlier, I think it's in verse number six, when he talked about how he persecuted Christians. Because Jesus took the same adamant, that ferocity about him, that pursued Christians to put them to death. He redeemed them and he saved him. And he's like, whatever you use to pursue your way of doing things, I want you to pursue it now in me. 
pursue me at that same passion. After, now, I don't believe there are better people than other people, and I don't have favorites in the world other than I favor Anne over all of you. I will admit that. I favor my wife over you, so I, I guess I do play favorites in a sense. Um, but when it came to youth ministry, there are certain students that I really wanted to get saved. They're like, wouldn't you want all students to get saved? Yes. Okay, you caught me. Yes, I want all students to get saved. But some of my favorite students that came to Christ were my goth kids. They were the kids that scared their average Christians when they came into church. I had one, his name was Nathaniel, and when he started coming to the church, he had a black cape and he claimed he was part dragon. No joke. And Nathaniel, I remember one time I'm, co- and, and I'm coaching football and Nathaniel started running toward me. Now granted, you got to understand something. Nathaniel, kindest man in the world, but everyone made judgment calls based upon his black cape and the way that he had dressed. But I want you to understand, Nathaniel encountered the risen Jesus. And you're like, did he get rid of the cape? No, he got rid of the cape. He's now like a superhero for Jesus now. And he saw me coaching on the football field, and he starts running, and now the cape is like Batman. He's running across the field. My, my huge football players start running. And they're coming. He just latches onto me. He's holding onto me, and he's just like, Pastor David, so good to see you. And so we talked a little bit, and he's excited about Jesus because when it came to God students, they didn't care about what people thought. And there's just something about them when they gave their lives to Jesus. They stopped caring about what everybody thought because they knew that life was just about Jesus. And my heart is this: is that we would be the type of people that would have this almost. Oh, this is going to be weird to say. This God spirit about us. That would stop getting wrapped up in everybody's opinion. And we're trying to make everybody happy. How about we stop making everybody happy and start making Jesus happy with our lives. And when we start making Jesus happy with our lives, we're actually going to show the true joy that people need to see around us. And I remember when Nathaniel left, the f- football players were like, did he bite you? I'm like, no. Oh, I miss Nathaniel so much. we got to be a people that press into Jesus. You see, when Paul wrote this, Paul wrote this from prison. Do you know what Paul didn't write? He didn't write, I pray that God gets me out of prison. You know what? He didn't write that. Why? Because that wasn't the goal. Some of us are so busy trying to pray our circumstances away. How about we just stop praying our circumstances away? Because when one ends, another one's going to happen because that's just life. Let's stop praying necessarily for circumstances to go away and pray more so about the presence of God to come in our circumstances because that's what doesn't go away. Number three, to grow spiritually, we need to forget the past. To grow spiritually, forget the past. Verse 13. One thing I do, I forget what lies behind. Forget the past. I love this here. Some of us can't move forward because we've never stopped looking behind us. In fact, there's a story about the first sub four-minute mile. My fastest mile I've I've ever run was five minutes and three seconds. I thought that was pretty decent until I began to read about like Olympic runners. And I remember there was a, there was a race for which it was the race for the sub four minute mile. And there was a man that was winning the race. His name was John Lindy and John Lindy was winning. He was running faster than everybody else. But the thing that actually tripped him up was nothing on the track itself. It was the fact that he kept looking behind him and he didn't want to lose to Roger Bannister. He didn't want to lose the race, but because he kept looking behind him, it slowed him up enough that Roger Bannister would actually pass him up and be the first person to complete the four minute mile. And some of us can be so caught up in what has been behind us that we forget that there's so much more in front of us. So I want you to forget two things today. I need you to forget two things. Number one, I need you to forget past successes. 
Sounds weird to say out loud. Now, when I'm saying, when I say forget it, I'm not saying that you can never remember it ever again. So somebody at lunch today is this, I remember this good day. Don't slap their head and say, Pastor Dave said, don't do that. But some of us, we put our faith into what God did in the past, the past victories. Well, Pastor, if we just did this again, if we brought this back, if we get back this thing, we sing this song again. Some of us, I'm afraid that with the American church, we, instead of looking back and appreciating what God has done, we begin to idolize what God had done. And we begin to serve the moments instead of serving the one that created the moments. And if the scripture says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, perhaps we can get enough faith in us to remember what he did in the past as a reminder that God will do better and more in the future. Because he's not done yet. And so Paul says, listen, you've got to forget what's behind. Don't get caught up in your victories and don't get caught up in your failures. The enemy is great about reminding us of failures, but I think sometimes we hook onto those and we make identities about those. And if we're going to grow spiritually, we've got to look behind us and say, you know what? That time is done. We believe in more. He is the God of more. Moses saw a burning bush when he came back with the people of Israel. The mountain looked like it was on fire because God is the God of more. And he wants to do more. Number four. To grow spiritually, we need to stop comparing ourselves to others. Somebody say amen to that. Stop comparing ourselves. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. I love that. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Think this way. In other words, we have to keep growing. We have to pursuing. And if any of you think that you shouldn't stop growing, you need to think otherwise. Paul's like, stop looking at other people. Stop making judgment calls. It's time to grow and move forward. We've got to stop looking around and beginning to judge. Some of us are holding back our spiritual growth because we're so busy judging people for the lack thereof. We've got to learn to grow. We've got to learn to keep ourselves moving and not compare our, our lack of growth or our Maybe more growth than other people. Because you don't know where they're at. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know if they're growing or not. I've learned this. And I have some people that are very passionate in their worship. And they'll dance. They sing. They get on their knees. They'll jump up. Arms lifted. And it doesn't mean that they're deeper than somebody who's standing quietly and soberly, soberly before the Lord. Deeper things could be happening. Stop comparing and stop looking at people and making those judgment calls. We, when we compare, we lose our joy. I wrote this down. What do you do with people, though, in your life that aren't growing or that you perceive are not growing? What do you do with them? I'm glad you've asked me that question. Three things. Tell them the truth. If you've got relationship, tell them the truth. If you don't have relationship, you don't need to say anything. Well, I've been watching you from across the sanctuary, and I don't think you're growing. I just want to let you know that. Don't do that. You're weird if you do that. We, in the church, we call that granola. What do you mean? Fruits and nuts. Don't do that. But if you've got relationship, one, tell them the truth. Do it in love. Number two, demonstrate it with your life. Then three, leave it in the Lord's hands. If you've got relationship, tell them the truth. Most importantly, demonstrate it with your life. You should pray more. Stop telling people to pray more. You pray more. And then put it in the Lord's hands. Stop comparing. Do not allow the lack of someone's growth or your perception of it to consume your attention of causing yourself to stop growing in Christ. 
Stop making those judgment calls. You're not the spiritual police to walk in and to judge the people around you or to judge the people on Facebook. Stop comparing. Stop looking. Get yourself in the place where you're serving Jesus. You're praying for them and you're praying for yourself. You're praying for others and you're living it out because you don't know if God is working in them. God could be working without any visible sign that you are seeing in their life. We see a fraction of people's lives on Sunday morning. You don't know what's going on in their life the rest of the day and the rest of the week. Don't compare. Verse uh, number five. To grow spiritually, we need godly examples. Godly examples. Verse uh, 16, only let us hold true to what we've attained. Brothers, join me, join in imitating me. That word imitate in the Greek language, we get the word mimic. Imitate me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul is saying, if you want to grow in Christ, get a spiritual mentor. Put yourself in the place where you're growing. This may shock you. You need people and they need you. Not a single amen whatsoever. i got a bunch of isolated introverts right here. And I know that because I'm related to a few of you. You'd, you're not all introverts here. We need each other. There is a misnomer about millennials and Generation Z. I've had people come to me and say, man, I don't like millennials, Gen Z. They're all about themselves. They don't want connection to you. Let me tell you something about millennials and Generation Z. They want relationship with older generations. They want relationship with, thank you for amen, millennial. They want Gen X relationship. They want boomer relationship. They want it. What they don't want is having someone come in and just order them. They want to know you. They want you to know them. They want to hear your story. Why is it that we want you to greet during service or hang out and talk after service? Because generations, we need you. Boomers, we need your leadership. We need your story. We need your testimony. Xers, I know we're a mess. Yeah, yes, we're a messy generation. We need you. Millennials, Zers, we need you. We need godly mentors in the house. And sometimes I've had younger ones come into my house and they've done reverse mentoring. It shows that we need the body of Christ together. Scripture says that we are to be imitators of God. That's why we need the generation. So what do we look for? Look for someone who loves Jesus. Look for someone who's got more passion than you. Look for someone who's maybe got more dedication than you, more knowledge than you, more love than you, more experience than you. If they're wearing U of M gear, they're probably, a, give them a good side, they're probably a good mentor. Sorry, Mick is right in front of me right here. Look for somebody in your life that can breathe into your life because you can't do this on your own. You are not meant to do this on your own. Couples, before you leave, Meet another couple in the house. One of, one, of the, one of the greatest people that I've ever had the privilege of serving as pastor, his name is Ken Niederville. He used to sit right, right behind where um, Al is sitting right there. Ken passed away a handful of years ago. And Ken was infamous. Ken and Evelyn, his wife, were, they would come in in September. Well, they were here all year. But in September, their radar would go up looking for students and thinking to themselves, there are freshmen that are moving away for the first time in their lives, and they have no parents or grandparents in the area. So they would look, they would greet, they would meet people, they would get to know people's stories, and all of a sudden, they began to basically, for that year, adopt a few students that they just became the local grandparents. They would feed them, they would just encourage them. And what if we in the body of Christ, instead of coming in and out of the room on Sundays, if before we left, we just found a handful of people that we could just meet? connect and grow because God could be utilizing you to be the next voice in their life but more specifically they could be the next voice of God in your life we need each other number six we're almost done here 
Number six, to grow spiritually, avoid spiritual imposters. Avoid spiritual imposters. Verse 18, for many of whom I've told you and now tell you even with tears, like this is breaking Paul's heart. Walk, there, off I've told you, now to even tell you with tears, walk as enemies, where am I at? I'm in the wrong verse. No, I'm in the right verse. For many whom I've often told you about and now even have tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction and their God is their belly and they glory in, uh, in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul is talking about individuals that were coming in what we would call wolves in sheep's clothing ready to devour people around. He says, watch out for spiritual imposters. And I was even asking Anna about, I'm like, how do you find a spiritual imposter? And I wrote down a few things. When it comes to spotting imposters, this is a challenge. Spotting a wolf that's wanting to devour your spiritual growth, it's, it's honestly, it's a little bit more of a challenge because there are individuals that I've had even in my own life, they don't come out and say they're anti-Jesus, but many times when it comes to spiritual imposters with what Paul is, is trying to articulate, it's not about what they say. Many times it's about what they won't say. It's not necessarily what they say. It's what they won't say. Many times with spiritual imposters, they will ignore scripture completely or portions or they'll downplay scripture or many times they will bend scripture. I have no spiritual imposters that come into my life and they, they want to dampen my spiritual zeal because my level of zeal or, or, or passion is not comfortable for them or it's not what they think it ought to be. And so they want to dictate my spiritual zeal. They will move your heart towards cynicism. So if you've got individuals that are developing that, you need to be cautious and careful. You've got to be cautious and guarding your heart and guarding what God has placed inside you. Verse 19 is something my dad used to quote at me all the time because when I was a sophomore or a freshman in high school, let me just warn you for one, people that have sons, when your kid gets to 19 or, it's not 19, ninth or 10th grade, they will start devouring everything in the home. I coach freshmen and sophomores. I'm telling you what. At that age, my dad would, he'd watch me eat dinner. He'd just say, whose God is his belly. That was literally the scripture he quoted me all the time. I don't know if he knew what exactly it meant at that moment. Um, but what the scripture means, it says, whose God is their belly. In the translation, it literally means they serve their own desires. Whatever they feel like is right or is truth, that's what they're going to serve and they will focus on themselves and not Christ. Their personal pursuit will be what they enjoy and not what is actually the joy that God is giving. We have to watch our hearts. We have to watch our lives. And lastly, and I'll need a piano player or somebody to come. Lastly, to grow, we need to remind ourselves of eternity. I love that. You have to remind yourself of eternity. Paul says... Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to the subject, to subject all things to himself. I love that. I love the fact that Paul kind of ends this little section to say, listen, if you want to be reminded that you need to grow, think in light of eternity. Because we are not people who just come here upon this earth, we live for a little bit and we die, and then it's all done. That our time on this earth is just 
a moment, a blip, if you would, in the passage of time. There is so much more. I'm so glad that when we do funerals, we talked about this last week, that we don't do funerals in the Christian church by just simply hanging our heads and we cry a little bit and we walk away feeling hopeless, but we can come and we can mourn together, but we can celebrate because we know that death does not have the final say. Paul says this to the Corinthian church, death, where is your sting? Death, where is the sting? In other words, that word sting in the Greek means poison. And it's a poison of a scorpion in the original language. He's saying like, death can impact us, but it doesn't have the final say. Why? Because we were destined for more. We were destined for eternity. We were destined for a hope that we can experience in part here. Then he says, someday Jesus is going to come back and transform it all for his glory. And that alone stirs us to want to see more. Because when we think about eternity, it makes me want to grow because I begin to realize that not everybody I interact and intersect with in life, they have the same eternity that I have because they don't know Jesus. And so that stirs me to show people love. I promise you, before I preach at anybody, I want them to know that I love them. Before I put my sandwich board sign on that says, turn or burn. (laughs) Please don't do that, by the way. Before I preach to somebody, I want them to encounter the love of Jesus because before I say a message, I want them to know the context. And that gets stirred when I think about that my citizenship, your citizenship was never meant to be on this earth. This past week, uh, even this morning, I found out, found out I think it's a fourth or fifth individual in our church who has gone through loss in their family. And I sat back, I was looking at my notes this morning and just honestly, I've just begun to thank God that, that we've got hope in him beyond today. We've got hope beyond the earthly time. I thank God that when my brother passed away in 1982, I'm so thankful that even though I had nine months of my little brother, I get to have an eternity with him. I'm so thankful I've got grandparents that are there. I'm so thankful that I've got friends that are there. I'm so thankful that death does not have the final say. And so when I see that I've got a citizenship, I not just look for hope for, for someday, I begin to look around and say, who else do I want there with me? Who else? How do I need to grow? How do I need to be challenged in my love and my grace and my forgiveness? How else do I need to grow in the scriptures? Then when people have questions, I don't always have the best or the greatest answers, but I can actually have dialogue and begin to talk with them. Because you'll never know that when you start growing in Christ, you never know how God is going to use you. Is anybody in the house where as you grew in Jesus, that you've been blown away how God has used you? Anybody? Just any hands at all? Let's give somebody hope in the house today. You get shocked when you grow in Jesus. And you never know where he's going to take you and how he's going to use you. Let me give you an unbelievable example and then I will finally shut up today. About 11 years ago, we had a young man that showed up to this church as a high school senior. You gotta think about this. 12 years ago when I came, uh, we really came into a church that uh, had just gone through a lot in 12 years, 11 years-ish missing a lot of people, went through a lot of things. And so we were restarting a lot of those things and youth ministry was one of those. And we had this young, ginger-haired young man that came in and just got plugged into the youth group and more specifically, he got plugged into Jesus. And I think he knew Jesus before he came, but just, he began to get discipled, he began to grow. Jesus began to transform him deeper and deeper and deeper and begin just to transform his heart, transform his life to the point where he started becoming the super volunteer. 
And all of a sudden, an opportunity came for our staff and he stepped on our staff and he started directing missions. And Kyle's been directing our missions for a few years here and he gets up and uh, does a lot of our transitions. But a few years ago, he traveled to us, to the country of Thailand and God, see, when you open up your heart to God, you never know what God's going to do. And so he went to Thailand with one of our missionaries and all of a sudden that growth in God began to grow even more because God was moving him from being a missions director to being a missionary. And today I want to make a cool announcement that we're not losing a staff member. We're just transforming his title to from missions director to missionary. This past fall, he was designated by the Assemblies of God World Missions as a missionary associate, and he's going to be going to Asia. One of our own. I didn't cry once about it. I was excited to see him go. You got to understand the context of that one there. When we see people following Jesus, you just never know. And so for the next year, he's, he's basically, he's no longer got duties around here. Duties makes me think of Nacho Libre. He no longer has the, the pastoral or even director duties. He, he, he can't do that now. He has to put his focus into what's called itineration and fundraising. And so you'll see him. He's still going to be super volunteer. You'll see him up here playing. You see him involved in tech. He's here. He's here for at least, I would say, probably a year. But the goal is, would you pray this with me? Would you pray that God would start opening up financial doors with churches and, and missions groups? Our church is going to support him. You better believe that we're going to support one of our own. Because we're just, I say this to every missionary that talks to me, I'm done seeing your face. I don't want to see your face for three to four years. What does that mean? Missionary services are three to four years in length. I just want to get them on the field. But I'm just telling you, when you grow in Jesus, someone's calling, might be Jesus. When you follow Jesus, you never know where he's going to take you. You never know what he's going to do in you. And I wanted Kyle to be the poster child of the morning today. That if you will dare to say yes to Jesus, some of you are like, I don't know if I want to go to Jesus anymore. But some of you, that God doesn't want to send you to Asia. Some of you, he just simply wants to send you to your neighborhood because they need Jesus just as much. He wants to send you to Pfizer. He wants to send you to climb Kalamazoo. He wants to send you if you're willing to grow. And if you grow, so will your joy. Because there's nothing more joyful than following Jesus and doing what he wants you to do with your life. So my two questions today is, are you growing spiritually? If not, pick one of these seven and just do it. Just do it. And I promise you, you're going to make the heart of God so glad and you're going to discover a level of joy you've never known before.